Welcome back to the Top People podcast. It really was fascinating to interview Sam Robbins, who until recently was an intelligence analyst on the major crime team for Surrey and Sussex Police, with over 20 years of experience getting to the heart of major crimes. Sam describes her difficult work as sewing together all the information of a crime into a picture, digging deep into the detail of dreadful deeds. We cover here the work to convict Levi Belfield of the murder of schoolgirl Millie Dowler, who was missing from March 2002 until her remains were found some six months later. The Rachel Nickell murder on Wimbledon Common in 1992, which first drew Sam into the world of psychology and investigations, and the tragic, currently unsolved murder of the Al Hillies in 2012, the husband and wife and her mother shot dead in the French Alps, a horrific crime which their two young daughters survived. I was fascinated to know more about the realities of the work, the mystery and intrigue of criminal investigations and of the personal impact on Sam, who left the police last year somewhat disillusioned at the pressures on analysts under ever-increasing workloads. She talks of a new role for the charity Inside Justice, making a personal move from the prosecution side to defence. Inside Justice was set up by the former producer of the BBC's Rough Justice, Louise Shorter, and the charity investigates alleged miscarriages of justice. This interview makes for some difficult listening. It's heartbreaking to think about the people who were the innocent victims of such awful crimes and their families left behind. And Sam's face tells a story of someone who deeply cares and is deeply affected by all she has seen. Ultimately, you'll be inspired to hear Sam's positive view of human beings. Despite the dark world she's been in, she still sees the good. Here, she tells me what the work involves. The analyst's role is to take all of the information that's coming into an inquiry or an investigation and to bring it all together... It's information that can then drive the inquiry forward. So it's, it's the bringing together everything from statements, looking at things from a geographical point of view, looking at information that we might have digitally from telephones or sat-navs, etc., and placing everything in one, in one spot. <laughs> and would it be fair to call you a kind of cracker? And I'm sure that's a question you get asked in the club. <laughs> that's what I wanted to do. That is what I wanted is it? to do. So I, when, I, when I very first started off, I was doing a psychology degree in Cardiff and the Rachel Nicole murder happened on Wimbledon Common. I started to read about the fact that psychologists were being used you know, by the police on, on this case. And I was doing a psychology degree and I thought, oh, what's, you know, what's all that about? And I went down the analysis route, which is far more tactical, hands-on, reading statements, bringing information together, rather than the looking at academic research, looking at what you've got and marrying the two together. So your initial interest sparked by the Rachel Nicole murder. Yeah. Have you worked on crimes like that as part of your career so far? Uh, Millie Dowler for me one of the most defining jobs that I'd ever worked on in my career. Tell us what it was like working on that investigation. I worked on it initially and then I went back onto it um, for the kind of final six-year run in up until the time that Levi Belfort was convicted. And it was just one of those jobs where everybody wanted justice for her and 
it was traumatic to work on. It was a massive, massive inquiry in terms of the amount of data to go through. You know, we worked closely with the Met once a connection was identified, because obviously um, Levi Belfort was connected to other victims as well in the Met, Kate Sheedy. Um, yeah, Amelie Delagrange, Marsha McDonald as well, so all, all victims of Levi Belfield. And when you're working in the heart of an investigation like that, what are you actually doing? There were gruelling days and days where you're reading through masses and masses of information. So an average day would be to have a briefing with the team, that's everybody from the scenes of crimes officers to the house-to-house inquiries to media to DCs that go out and speak to people, take statements, and the actual inquiry team that sit and process all that information that comes in. So, you know, a murder inquiry is a massive resource. The teams get dispatched with their actions for that day to follow up on inquiries that have either been driven from what's been found out the day before, and the intelligence and analysis staff will do everything from... Um, looking at people of interest to see you know, what their background details are, where they were at the time, reading through statements to see how that fits in with, um, with everything else that's coming to the inquiry, looking at telephone billings, looking at things from a geographical point of view. And it's just that layering up of information until you reach you know, that whole story and you work out how things have happened in what sequence... And if people aren't being truthful with this, then it's fairly easy to work out, you know, at a point in time, if they were staying there in one place, there's lots of information that can come in and be used to suggest, well, actually, that, that's not ringing true. So, you know, and those are big moments in jobs. When you, when you get those moments where you think that that's not making any sense, and then you dig a bit deeper and you dig a bit deeper, and then all of a sudden you kind of get that reveal, it's that moment that kind of all analysts look for of like you know they're either not telling us the truth or you know you find something and think this could be our suspect it's those moments where you just think you've really earned your money that day and can you recall specific moments like that oh so many so those aha moments (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to sing you get them on every job and sometimes they come really quickly sometimes within 24 hours the story of that job and how you know the offender and the victim and the location came to be together in one place and you were there on the day that Levi Belfield was found guilty I was yeah I was describe that that day yeah I will I will never forget it everybody got called back into court and obviously there was a complete media scrum I remember the words coming out of the judge's mouth as you know have you reached a verdict and the full person saying yes we have at which point I was looking at Levi Belfield and in the box and it comes back guilty how is it working on an investigation where there's still no answer so you were involved in the shootings in France where the family was shot in their car and the two girls survived didn't they yeah yeah the Alhillies those children lost their mother, their father, their grandmother and were in a foreign country where they didn't speak the language all being cared for very well by the French authorities. Absolutely terrifying for them but working on a job where there hasn't been resolution I find it incredibly frustrating. What drives you is you, you want resolution for the victims and their families and you want to see justice. And how does it feel arriving at a crime scene like that? Um, it's very strange when you're when you've seen so many photos, and you know obviously you see the worst of the photos, um, and you form a picture in your mind from the photos, and you get the the map with the geographical location, and then I got there, and it was nothing like I thought it was going to be. For me, it was in you know in the photographs, it looked like a 
large car park it wasn't it it was tiny and thinking about the the two girls who did survive mm. and the youngest one had survived something like eight hours hidden underneath her she, mom's skirt yeah i think she'd gone into some kind of catatonic kind of state of shock like just dread four years old absolutely dreadful to the point where she was so terrified she couldn't move and you know i think late later on it was the when the police turned up obviously there was a huge police presence which was then just making noise etc so all she could hear was boots and movements around that car thinking that the bad people had come back so for her she and no one knew she was there and no one knew she was there it was um it was only when police had gone to the campsite and started to so the Alhilis had been staying at a campsite during the day and um someone at the campsite you know they said oh we you know we we've we've found the daughter and someone went what about the other daughter and so they went back to the scene and found her obviously mum dad was still in situ as was grandmother and she was found hiding hiding under her mum's mum's skirt and when you're in that moment what are you looking for on a scene like that I'd start by looking at the outside of the photos in. For example, if there is a body in the middle of the photo, that's the first thing that your eye is going to look at, when actually there could be really pertinent information lying around. So I, I always do a scan of the outside of the photo and then work in from there as to, you know, is there anything on, the, on those, you know, whether it's in a living room environment or if it's outside. And then it's literally a case of working back. So you start with the person in situ and then work back from how did that person get there, what wounds they got, how did they come to die, what were their movements immediately before the time of death, and then you work back in a systematic order until you come to the point of the location, the offender and the victim coming together in that location. And are you starting to form an impression or an image in your mind of who and what sort of person yeah. may have committed that horrific crime. So I think after years and years of doing it, nothing surprises me. Open mind all the time. I probably form opinions fairly quickly, but and how- with enough flexibility to allow for me to you know, consider all the options. And is the process formal of you sharing your thinking back with the police that are investigating? How does that relationship yeah, work? Yeah, that's interesting. You know, you get a good analyst-research combination and you need a really, really good working relationship with a senior investigating officer. It's, it's critical. If you've got a senior investigating officer that is willing to back analysis and understands how it's used, that investigation moves forward so much more smoothly and the absolute benefits of analysis are realised because that analyst can offer that senior investigating officer new lines of inquiry. It's like, you know, have you thought about that? That's not what the data is suggesting. The data is suggesting this. Should we be thinking along these lines? You said earlier about getting on the train on your way home or when you've left yeah. the scene of a crime yeah. and having a talk to yourself. I have seen dreadful things and like the actual nature, the human nature of people that can be absolutely vile. Um, but yeah, you have to remember that there's more good in the world than bad. But yeah, quite often, you know, I could cry on the way home. And also, you know, having a supportive family at home as well is so, so important. And yeah, I think everyone's sympathetic. I think the, the, the police are what they're brilliant at is being a family. They are, you know, they're amazing at supporting one another and, you know, having an amazingly understanding husband when I used to 
rock up at two, three in the morning and then like, have a couple of hours sleep and go back in for six and a child who now only just gets to see me <laughs> and he gets picked up from school by me finally. And you've started doing some work for a charity called Inside Justice. So Inside Justice is um, a charity that looks at um, alleged miscarriages of justice. So they were, um, they were set up in 2010 and um, prisoners who, you know, protested their innocence all the way along, right, right in um, asking for help. And what Inside Justice does is to reinvestigate their cases. So what they're looking for is not technicalities. So it's not um, trying to catch the police out in terms of you know have they done have they messed up on a technicality? Have they not followed something through? What they do is reinvestigate the case to look for any potential opportunities for new evidence. Um, so that might be forensic techniques that have developed, you know, and if you've got somebody sitting in jail that is saying, it wasn't me, it wasn't me, and, you know, the forensic testing at the time maybe wasn't adequate enough or, you know, new techniques have developed that could test other bits of evidence to see, you know, for proof of guilt, etc. Um, I think it's really important to do that, and there is very, very little mechanism for prisoners, you know, they, they can appeal... But then they have to um, go to the um, CCRC, which is the Criminal Case Review Commission, to have their cases looked at. But that is a painfully slow process. Um, and you know, in, Inside Justice had success with um, a, a, a case of Barry White, who was accused of murdering his girlfriend, um, and his his conviction was overturned after many, many, many years in prison, um, and that was Louis Shorter from Inside Justice. They ended up getting Barry White's conviction quashed, and they went a little bit further, and they managed to find the offender for the crime itself. So um, the, the actual offender is now in prison for that. Do you think with all your years of experience that you have a take on whether you think somebody... Is, is it guilty? <laughs> oh, it's all such leading questions, Jay. I try really, really hard to have an open mind. I think I achieve that, but sometimes I have to force myself down that road. I mean, it's a human, a fair point. There's a human characteristic where you form an opinion and you form an opinion about people and conversations. Instantly. Even watching programmes on the TV, yeah. uh, crime investigations, I think we all kind of jump to conclusions yeah. and we all know that that can lead to miscarriages of justice. Absolutely. So how do you keep... Your mind How open. do you what, keep what techniques do you use to keep your mind open? How do you keep an open mind? I think it's um, I think it's read making sure that all the information's read before you start forming that opinion, which can be really difficult because if you read a particular statement, you know where someone is is so um, insistent, you know that they saw something or that they you know where they were at a location at a time. It's quite easy to get drawn in and start to think, okay, well, if you, you know, if you're so insistent that you were there, then you know, let let's let's start use that as a starting point, and it's just guarding yourself against that, saying, right, I will park that information. I know you're really insistent on it, but I will park it, and I will go and look at all this other information that I've got to see if it back if it backs up what you're saying, or if it's going to take us down down a different path. So. And are there cases that you've worked on that still stay with you? Are there things that keep you awake at night? Do you worry about 
the safety of your family more than, say, somebody else? Or do you manage to compartmentalise some yeah. of the stuff that you've seen? I think in terms of my son and how paranoid I am about people and where I let him go and people he's surrounded by, yeah, abs- yeah absolutely. I think it's tainted my view on the world and on personal safety, without a doubt. And does I think it, I'm cautious. And I'm overly cautious. And does it leave you with a view about human nature and which side of the fence you come down <laughs> on that people, are, that people are essentially good and, and you look very optimistic and smiley yeah. and, and, and lovely and warm <laughs> and positive? Do you have that view of human nature? I do. I think recent events in London, every time something like that happens and you see communities coming together, you know, from terrorists to Grenfell to... I, I see the good all the time. That's what's evident. The first thing that happens is that people stop to help. You know, interesting, I was in Borough Market the other night, so that was a couple of weeks after the offence, and uh, a couple of armed officers walked through, and I don't think there was a single person who didn't say thank you to them. Thinking about the terrorist atrocities that have happened recently, yeah. um, and I was reading an article um, that quoted Professor Philip Davis, who's the director of the Brunel Centre for Intelligence and Security Studies. Yes. And he was saying that the problem is that there is so much data yeah. and there's so much information. So yeah. the good news is we've got lots of information, but the bad news is that we've got lots of information. Yeah. What's your view on your sort of approach to work to help prevent some of those yeah. terrorist attacks? I, 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 LinkedIn, I think it is, it is a really testing time for the, for the police, for the emergency services. Um, the cuts have been scathing and part of my reason for going was that I felt that analysis wasn't being done to the level where I could quite happily go home at the end of the day and say we have absolutely thoroughly looked at something there because they are having to try to respond to so much. It takes a human and experience to recognise when something's up obviously data is overwhelming so things like telephone data people have got more than one digital device these days you know there there is there's, there's various software applications out there that can help but it takes experience and knowledge to be able to bring that together and i think analysis is being diluted to the point where it's being really affected when you look back on everything that you've done within your career so far mm. what are you most proud of the team. I think I'm proud of the police family. I think what I'm most proud of is seeing analysts who have come under me is to grow and develop and go on. Some of them, you know, st- still with the police. Some of them have gone off to, you know, forge careers in other areas. But watching each one of each one of those individuals grow from not really knowing what they were doing, you know, through to being absolutely brilliant analysts that make a real difference to society and. You know, the, the public sector, I, that, that really makes me proud. Really makes me proud. Sam Robbins, thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs>